they don't know yet what they don't know. And sometimes the model is, isn't going to fit them if they think they like a certain thing. Um, I had one lady, oh my God, she was interested in cryotherapy and a cat cemetery. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have Elaine Vakalopoulos of your franchise options. Elaine is a franchise broker, but she's also an owner herself. So she knows exactly what the franchisees are looking for. This is going to be an amazing show. Elaine, how are you? Welcome to the show. Great. Thanks so much. Fun to be here. Thanks, Mark. Awesome. First question, why would somebody purchase a franchise when they simply could start their own business? Perfect question. Well, let's start with the person who has an idea to start a business. If they have an idea and they have the wherewithal to figure out how to move forward with that business, that's great. They need to do their marketing, their pre-marketing. They need to have enough financing. They need to make sure that they have an idea that's going to make sense in their competitive sphere, wherever they're located. No one's saying don't do that. But there are many, many people who don't have an idea to start their own business. I wasn't one. <laughs> I mean, I ended up being a two-time franchise owner, but I wasn't reinventing any wheels, right? So let's compare the two. You know, someone might start their own business because, you know, they, they know what they want and that's what they want to do. Perfect. However, let's compare it. You have with a franchise, a proven model. That company has learned from a lot of mistakes over a period of time. It has come up with a process that works and they figured out how to make it replicatable and scalable. Right. So that's that's a one. They give you the opportunity to have a turnkey business. Like when I bought my first franchise, which was a fitness center, which after 25 years of being in the corporate world, never in a million years had I thought I was going to own a gym. But it wasn't like I was going to go, oh, I'm such a fitness fanatic. I'm going to go open up my own studio. No, <laughs> I decided to buy this business because it made sense for so many reasons. It checked off all of my list items for what makes sense for me and my family at that time. So for me, tell me what to do. Tell me what size of store I need. Tell me what equipment I have to choose from. Tell me what the build out is. You take care of all the marketing collateral. I now have a turnkey business. I didn't want to redo all that. That would have taken me forever, right? So the benefit to someone who doesn't have an idea and wants to own a business, work for themselves, but not necessarily by themselves, this is a great opportunity. Um, there are a lot of other benefits. I mean, to be um, an independent owner, you're your own decision maker. You don't have to answer to anyone. If you want to pivot your business, that's great. You can do that. If you're selling chickens and you want to sell burgers, you can do that. Obviously, with a franchise, you can't. You have to stick with the program. But although the profits are all yours, so are your mistakes. My dad owned his own business. Like I grew up in a variety store. You know, George's variety was from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. Ah, you know, he, he was in it and he was doing it all. When the inflation, you know, situation hit in the 70s or there were supply issues, my father couldn't call another variety store owner and say, hey, Jack, how are you handling this? Mm. In, my, in a franchise world, you have a series, you have peers 
and they're not your competitors, right? They want you to succeed because if you succeed, they're successful because the whole system comes up. So as a result, like for example, during this you know COVID situation with my present franchise, when we had to shut down, we were able to call each other. We created a forum online. We were asking, how are you handling this? What are you doing with that? Whether it has to do with salaries, whether it has to do with marketing, the equipment, doesn't matter. Now you have all these people collaborating and giving you information to make you more efficient, to get you, you know, to where you want to be faster. So that peer group is one of the intangible benefits that it's not often talked about. And I have found to be the biggest benefit of owning a franchise. So that's another little piece. Um, with, you know, franchise, you can get some economies of scale because the franchise system can be big. They have strategic alliances. So you might get a discount on certain, you know, materials or tools or whatever it is that you need for that business to operate. Whereas as an independent, you have no leverage. And finally, financing. A lot of lenders understand franchises and there are specific franchise lenders, um, whether they're SBA or otherwise, that know that if you get into a particular brand, you're more likely to succeed. It's hard enough to get along, right? If you have a proven system behind you, you're um, highly, more highly likely to get along than if you're an independent. So help me understand that. Help me understand how the franchise model actually works. Um, and I'm sure they're different, but in, in the big scope of things, what are you buying? How much are you paying? How does it work? And, you know, going forward, what is the cost mm -hmm. associated? Okay. So with any franchise, you have to pay an upfront fee that's called a franchise fee to buy into the system, to buy into their proprietary model, to buy into their trademarks, to use their brand, to know what their secret sauce is. Yeah. Right. So that's a one time thing. It could be, it ranges, Mark. I mean, it could be anywhere from 30 to $75,000. Right. That kind of is what it is. It's a one time thing. It gets you into the training, it gets you, you know, going. That, by the way, that fee doesn't change regardless of whether or not you work with someone like me. And we can talk about that in a minute. Yeah, we will. So you have the upfront you know, franchise fee, and then you get into the system and you get going. And what do you get? You get the support and the training from the franchise company ongoing. Some might have more than less. Some might have an entire team that does the actual administrative work for you. Some you know, have external sources that can give you um, the, the opportunity to even have a business coach to come out to the field with you for a period of time. But in addition, after that first you know, chunk that you go and get started, then you do have what's called a royalty. Every franchise has one. A royalty can range again from 5% to 40%. But then you have to ask, well, why is that business model like that? And that's where you get into the nitty gritty. Depends on who it is and what they're offering. But that royalty is just, the way I look at it is, it's a line item on your P&L. That's an expense to you to get the benefits from the franchise company and the franchisor collects that and that's their operating income. Because if they don't collect that operating income, they can't in turn use that to support you. So it's a little bit of a cycle there, right? And then you have other costs. Um, and all of this is disclosed in what's called the franchise disclosure document. But in addition to the royalty, you might have, well, they all have a brand fund. 
some kind of marketing fee. And in the days of old, um, when franchising, you know, was originally around and you would, you know, send the money to the franchise company and you kind of hoped one day you might get an ad on TV, those, those days are gone. You know, there's no more black hole because really most of the marketing dollars today are spent digitally. Everyone's savvy about, you know, getting your name online to pop up, search engine optimization, you know, Google ads, whatever. It's so much smarter today than it was even, you know, 10 years ago. Then you might have other things. You might have a call center. So you'll have a call center fee. You might have technology fee. In my current franchise, we have a proprietary software because the equipment is fueled by AI. So there's a variety of things there that are the costs of doing business. So when someone might say, oh, if I had my own business, I don't have to spend that money. Hmm. But you might. And it might take you a long time to figure it out and get there. So I don't want to use, I mean, just to use the word now, you don't want to cheap out right now where you can be up and running quicker because the franchise already has that dialed in. That makes a lot of sense because, you know, for someone to start their own business, they have to figure out a lot of different things where this becomes, as you said, turnkey. Now you act as a broker for folks as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So a lot of people don't even know my role exists, right? I like to consider myself more as a franchise consultant or coach, but broker okay. is the right answer. I mean, that is true. But I start with a prospect who's thinking about either ownership or just learning about a franchise, right? So I educate. So I see myself first as an educator. They might know nothing about franchises. And there's a, kind of a lot to know, right? It's a big industry. There's a lot of industries. I mean, a lot of categories, and then there's different business models. So how will that person even know where to begin, right? So I start with that individual and try to understand who they are, where they wanna go with their life. What's their risk tolerance? How much money do they have to invest? How much money do they need to earn? And frankly, there are many cases where the person just isn't cut out for it. And I'm, I'm honest about that. I mean. I don't want to waste anyone's time. I'm not here selling anything. I'm here to offer this service, right? To explain, this is what happens. This is what your involvement would be. This is what you should expect and support from the franchise company. Here are the uh, line milestones that you will be hitting and what you need. And I offer them coaching all along the way till they get to the point where they either decide, yes, this is for me or no. I'm going to go in a different direction, which is perfectly fine because that's the right decision, right? And at the end of the day, if a franchise is awarded to an individual, then the franchise company offers me a referral fee. And I am 100% indifferent as to what company an comp individual chooses because frankly, it, it matters to me that it's the right pairing. If, if, if this person has had enough education during this process, and it's a pretty long process to feel like, company A is the right one for them, great. And the franchisor at this point has decided that this candidate is a good fit for that company, perfect. Because what matters to me is my reputation because that's all I really have. Because if I haven't done a good job by that prospect, then he won't refer me. And if I have shown the franchise company unqualified candidates, they won't open the door as quickly as they do. Because I package my person, right? Because I've gotten to know them now over several months. And at the end, I'm like, you know, franchise A, B, C, and D, and maybe E, F, and G, because I, I show several, you know, different pros, 
sorry, several different company types, then, um, you know, we go from there. Well, I would imagine when somebody comes to you uh, and says, I want to be a franchise owner, they have something in mind, but yet it, there's such a vast amount yeah. of opportunities, but it's also so very overwhelming. Help us understand yeah. that process. Yeah, um, that's a great and a very common example. Um, someone might call and say, you know, I want a subway. I'm like, oh, why? <laughs> I mean, I have a huge, huge problem with the food industry, but that's that's another conversation. But honestly, just before we got on this call together, I was talking to one of my candidates who came to me after having started to look on his own mm. for franchises. <clears throat> and he's a very successful young man in the New Jersey, or Philly area. And he has a real estate office and he does a lot of different things, <clears throat> but he's, he's trying to build an empire here. And he, um, he had looked at a couple of different types of companies and said, you know what, I really think I need expertise to help me hone this in. And we've looked at a few different models. And just a few minutes ago, he said, thank you so much, because now I really understand what I need. And to quote him, he said, I'm interested in the path of least resistance. Mm. And he thought he wanted one thing, and this happens all the time. But by the end of the process, they really, really understand themselves. And what it is that they want to gain of owning a franchise. And you have those options. If you want to be in it, you could be in it. If you want to be an executive, you can be an executive. If you want, you know, to just manage a manager and have it be uh, a very simple business model, perfect. I mean, there's so many options that we can talk about. So how did you get into it? What was your decision-making process? It, was, it came to me from the side door. Um, I had you know, grown up in the Massachusetts area. I was a commercial real estate broker for a lot of years. I ended up getting my um, master's in real estate from MIT that took me to a Wall Street career. I did that for several years and I moved from New York to Chicago where I was another 10 years working corporate real estate stuff. I mean, I love the dirt. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, real estate's in my DNA. Like that's my favorite thing. Um, but after doing that and um, making a decision almost 20 years ago now to adopt a little boy, uh, I kind of shifted and I was done working as a plan. So I moved back to Mass, but landed you know, on the Cape where I had a cottage um, and you know, retrofitted my house. You know, it, was, it, was, it wasn't winterized or any of that stuff. And a friend of mine said, well, what are you going to do now? really good question but I know I'm not driving to Boston to you know work corporate again so she said have you ever thought of a franchise and I had not it had never occurred to me so she took me through the process that I may now take people through in terms of understanding who they are what they can do and what the territory is because think of it the Cape is kind of weird right like we have the seasonality it's not densely populated anyway um so that's how I ended up owning my first franchise in 2007 I was the first Snap Fitness 24-7 gym to open in Massachusetts. And it, it, it was, you know, it worked out fine. Like I said earlier, it checked off all of my important factors. It was within my budget. I saw relative to the industry that it was going to make the money that I thought I needed. Uh, and it did, even though we ran, I ran it through the worst recession we ever had. I still did well. Um, 
it gave me the flexibility I needed for my family. And that's, that's a common thing that I hear when I talk to my prospects. They want flexibility in their schedule, being able to control their destiny in terms of the finances and how they want to live their second half. Um, so anyway, so that's how it started. And I ran that for seven years. Uh, a, one of my members had asked me if I'd ever consider selling it. And at that time, my son was around 10. I thought, well, you know, he's going to be a teenager pretty soon. Maybe I should be home more. So we worked that out. And then I've been doing this ever since. That same friend who got me into the franchise, you know, showed me the way to do this um, world. And frankly, it's right up my alley. I mean, having been a commercial real estate broker, I'm used to brokering anyway. Um, I'm an analyst by nature. So when I analyze those real estate stocks, I bring that to the table now because I look at the same thing. Who's the management team? Right? That's super important. You want to know what's their depth of understanding of the industry or franchising. They have to have at least one of the two. It's better if they have both, but certainly they have to have something they're, they're bringing to the table. Um, secondly, you want to know what their track record is. If they've been around for a while, <clears throat> what does it look like over recessionary periods? How did they handle COVID? You know, what are they doing to support and train their and franchisees for their success? So you want to know do they have a sound business concept? Like, does it make sense? I have to tell you, there's some really stupid ideas out there. Mm. I mean, there's the franchises that I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. I mean, I, I'm very careful about that. Because um, you don't want the trendy ones. You want ones that are going to have longevity. You're putting someone in business for the long haul, not for a couple of years, and then say, oh, yeah, that one didn't pan out. Um, you want to know of the franchisees that are in place how satisfied they are. And there's an independent survey company out there that does that, but you can also find out as the individual looking at the franchise, you can talk to these folks at a certain point and figure out, are these my people? Are they happy? Can I see myself being you know, a franchisee of this system? So all those things are really important. And do they have legs for the future? And what have they been doing to stay on top of things? Like technology was a big thing. Um, several years ago, of course, you know, we had Lotus one, two, three. How long did it take that company? Like one particular company did have it for way too long <laughs> and they weren't keeping up with the time, right? So all of those things are very important. So that's um, partly how I, you know, bring my background to the table to add value uh, to my candidates because honestly, I I've been in their shoes. And I actually saw a huge difference between my first franchise and my current franchise in terms of what kinds of support, what kind of communication comes down the line. And I've learned a lot. So I bring that to the table as well. And I, I believe in the system. Obviously, I, I, if I didn't, I wouldn't have purchased the second franchise, which is, it just happens it's in the fitness world as well. But that many years later, I got older and this category is... Um, focused on boomers and older, folks that don't like the big gym, folks that don't you know, have the time, folks that might be a little more um, careful because they've had knee, shoulder, hip surgeries and don't wanna hurt themselves, but can still get a great workout. Anyway, I'm not here to advertise the exercise coach. <laughs> That's great though. I mean, it, it is advertising the, the, uh, the passion behind franchise. One question that uh, is popping into my head is, is COVID. So post COVID, you know, you hear the reset, the great resignation. Has that added to the franchise demand? Yes. Yes, it has. Um, it's been interesting. I mean, some people, you know, saw it as a huge negative. 
but folks that actually saw it continue to move forward and have done really well. Um, but I will caveat, I mean, we have two different business models and we should talk about that because you have like my model, which is the bricks and mortar, right? And it's a fitness center. So obviously we got shut down because we were not essential, right? If you had a bricks and mortar business and it was essential, you did fine during the pandemic. But especially in something like ours, which wasn't, you know, we had the shutdown, we had the reopen, we had to, you know, boot up again. So that was a little bit of a challenge. But there are several other businesses that were home-based, or let's call them mobile, that flourished during the pandemic. And some of those guys, and I say guys loosely, um, could almost not handle the business. And for a few of them that might have had the foresight to hire an extra technician or you know, bring on an admin to help them out, they were able to take it on and not, be a, not have to turn business away. So it's been interesting. And some franchises were much better than others at supporting their franchisees. Like I felt like our franchise, our owner, our founder was very communicative. He was very generous with you know, helping us during that time. Um, some others were like, yeah, whatever. Sorry. So that's, you know, that's kind of sad. So that's a really good intel for, for folks like me to be able to look back, right? And say, hey, you know what? This company saw that you don't need as much of square footage in your space now. You know, we found a way that we can be more conservative with the real estate. And now you don't need a receptionist because we determined that you can, you know, filter all this through this app that we've developed. Or there was a coffee shop uh, concept that did a lot of... Um, telemarketing, they looked at all the stats, they figured out who their top customers were, they did an outreach to them, and then there was a lot of delivery service. I mean, just really clever, caring, you know, little measures during a really hard time. Yeah, so, but you're seeing a lot of people now who are saying, you know what, I'm done with the corporate world, let's do this. Yes, sorry. So yeah, there's two stories on for the COVID. So I had actually started seeing a lot of that even before COVID. To really? Be yes. Most of my, most of the prospects that work with folks like me, they're usually C-level executives or high-level professionals that are kind of tired, right? They're tired of doing the corporate thing. They're getting laid off. They're unable to get a job because they're older. And even if they did get hired, chances are good they're going to get laid off quickly again. That's happened time and time. So that's been happening for a few years, even prior to this label, the great resignation. So it's, it's accelerated now, the interest. And folks are looking for a way to, you know, secure their retirement to make sure they have an additional revenue stream and not have to um, depend upon the corporate role. Because a lot of egos are tied to that too, right? Um, but there is a lot to be said for owning your own business and having that control, to being able to see your kids play tennis or whatever it is that you want to do after hours because you're building a team. You're using the skills that you've already had and putting it into your own business. And that's what I hear all the time. I am tired of working so hard for someone else. It's time I do it for myself. So let's, let's, um, let's, take somebody through that process. So I call up Elaine. I say, Elaine, I'm tired. I want to do something different. I want to own my own business, but I don't want to start it from scratch. I don't know anything about social media. I don't know anything about SEO. 
but I want to do something different. Where does the process go from there? Right. So it starts with, what do you know about franchises? Right. And most of them know very little. They always say, well, I see long lines at Jimmy John's and I'm sure that that does well. Like, yeah, no, (laughs) but we talk about that. Right. So I talk about the big picture first. I tell them how big the industry is. There's 3,000 or so franchises. Wow. Right. So you have that top tier of the McDonald's and the KFCs and all those guys, which don't work with folks like me. That's a whole different strata. They're looking for people who have very deep pockets, maybe are already multi-unit owners and another food service kind of brand. So that's out there. And then let's take a swath at the bottom that I wouldn't touch. They might be unsavory type of businesses. They might be businesses that will get you know, squashed by Amazon or big box stores. So we don't touch those or like some of these like, kind of strange concepts that I mentioned before. But then we have a whole bunch in the middle that are great. And even though they might be, according to the U.S., census like 300 industries i don't know how micro they get who's planning or different things but you know there's at least 80 or so that are reasonable good viable businesses that we can work with right and from a to z so i talk about all of that and then i narrow it down i said so it doesn't matter what industry they're in they're going to fall into one of two buckets they're either going to be a business that requires bricks and mortar and i'm more careful to use that now I'll just say location-based because it used to be retail, but now some businesses can go into an office space. Maybe they could be in a light industrial and still, you know, be a viable franchise business. And then there are others that don't need that. They're going to be those mobile businesses. You see those wrap vans around all the time. They could be home-based forever, or maybe they evolve into a little office warehouse event, right? So two very different models, two very different modes of operation. So the first one is the one that we see every day, right? I mean, you can think of, you know, three or four categories off the top of your head that falls into that location base. Obviously it's food that makes up the most of all of it, right? Um, Then you have beauty, very common, right? The haircutting, now the lashes and, you know, more in that. Let's use wellness and health in one category. This is a big burgeoning area. This is a really interesting one. Like whoever thought the massage world would become so big, right? But now you have some that are going a little bit more into medicine, some alternative type medicine. So that's been very interesting. And those can be in an office space, which putting my real estate hat on, I favor because they're more affordable. Um, So then you have what? Then you have pets, then you have kids, then you have automotive, which is a traditional place to go. So there's a lot that's in that space that's very visual to us. The cost of that is going to far different, you know, it's be far different from the ones that are the mobile. But that's an interesting one because these are ones that can grow really big and people don't think about, right? And perfectly, to be perfectly honest, those are pretty boring. I mean, in terms of you know what they have to offer, but they're demand-driven and they are needs-based. And these are the ones that flourished during COVID, right? So these are the ones you could think anything for the house from the top of your roof all the way around the house, outside, underneath and inside, there's a franchise for it. And these are the ones that the franchises don't care if you don't know about the painting business, um, the sprinkler business, the window washing business, they don't want you to have experience. They don't care if you know how to like pave a driveway or put up a tile. They will train you to know what you need to hire, implement, put into place. So frankly, you know, they would prefer people with common sense 
some business savvy, you know, and just the ability to learn and have the right attitude because cultural fit is actually much more important. So those are your two categories. And the way the retail, the bricks and mortar will grow, you can do one unit and be done like I did the first time, or you can buy the rights to do multiples like I did the second time where I bought the rights to do four units in this one particular corner of New Jersey where I have an operating partner. So we'll, you know, once this one gets stabilized, we'll open number two. Once that gets stabilized, you do three and then you move on. And you've protected your future that way. On the mobile side, once again, you can buy a territory. Every franchise defines territory differently, right? If it's for senior care, for example, X number of people 65 and older. If it's for kids, obviously you need X number of schools or kids between, you know, one and 17. Um, but it might just be population. It might just be number of households of a certain income, right? So once you have that territory defined, you could decide to do just one and be done or by multiple territories so that you can grow. Um, I had a fellow who was looking at a concept in Virginia last year and he went in thinking he was gonna do two based on the numbers that he wanted to generate. But after talking to one of the top performers, he decided to buy a third territory because he really decided he could build something big. And he didn't want someone else later coming in and encroaching on his territory and blocking his growth, right? So, so I talk about all of that. That's kind of the first step in terms of educating the person coming in because I want everyone to have at least that baseline. And then from there, if they decide, yes, I wanna learn more. This is something that appeals to me. Then what I do is I provide them with a couple of links to some surveys that I want. So, Basic questionnaire stuff. I mean, nothing terribly, you know, deep. I want to understand, you know, why they want to own a business, what skills they bring to the table, um, some other, you know, traits that they might think are um, that are important. But and I also have a drop down that asks them what they think their preferred categories are in terms of industries. I'll look at it, but honestly, Mark, at the end of the day, sometimes it doesn't even matter, right? Because they don't know yet what they don't know, and sometimes the model. Is, isn't going to fit them if they think they like a certain thing. Um, I had one lady, oh my God, she was interested in cryotherapy and a cat cemetery. <laughs> like, okay, that's very interesting. Um, but let's look at some other things too. <laughs> right. Well, they both start right. with C. All right. So um, anyway, um, so that information comes to me. And what, I, what else is important that I haven't talked about yet is Besides the personality type, the characteristics, and making that cultural fit with a franchise, finances are important, right? Yeah. So much like looking at a house, right? You're not going to show someone a million-dollar house if they don't qualify for something to pay for. Same here. Some franchises only need, let's say, fifty thousand liquid and two hundred thousand net worth. Others might need a quarter of a million liquid and two million net worth. So that helps me too with refining the inventory. So I collect all that information. I also collect another one that's kind of a, a values assessment. It's not a personality test like Myers-Briggs or anything like that. This one is more, what culture is right for you? Are you collegial? Are you like more like a Silicon Valley type? Like go, go, go. Are you an achiever? Are you a collaborator? All that kind of stuff. So anyway, then once I've collected that information, and if it's a married couple, I do like to get it from both because you really want the spouse involved. 
if you don't, and I've, I hit this very early in my career here, um, something's going to block it, right? Um, I could tell you a story in a minute about one couple, but um, it's important to just get input from both because at the end of the day, you're going to be sitting across the dinner table together. And if the wife doesn't like what the husband's chosen, then it's dead in the water, right? So I collect all that information and then kind of the art comes in. Then I look at who they are and I, I know what the franchises are looking for. So then I look to do that matching. And then I also have to look at the territory. Now, that's important too, because you could be in a major city and be able to do anything, but there may not be any territory left because that brand is already scooped up. So then you have to go to another level, right? And most of the major MSAs go quick when it comes to new brands coming across. Um, MSAs. So, oh, um, metropolitan statistical areas like Dallas, Fort Worth. Houston, LA, Boston, New York, um, Miami, in those kinds of big cities. Um, so then I will then um, reach out to these franchises and say, hey, I have a candidate in this market. Are you available? And I go from there. Now I have a woman right now who's moving from Dallas, Fort Worth to this tiny little town east, maybe about an hour or so east, 2,500 population. I was like, ink, what are we going to do? So I asked her, how far are you willing to drive to reach your you know, customer base? Because nothing will work here. And so we have a range. So when I reached out to the companies, it was very, I was very specific. All right, so tell me with a map where she can have a viable territory to be able to earn a six-figure income. Because frankly, that's where we are. I mean, most of these folks that I'm working with a minimum low end six, but some for several of these guys that come from IT operations, they're looking for 200,000 plus. So there's different ways to, you know, build that. Anyway, so a couple of companies came back and said, yeah, 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 we could make that work. I'm like, mm -mm, are you sure? You know, because I do my own due diligence too. So I push back a little bit as well. But at the end, we, you know, we did come up with a nice group. This woman uh, was a nurse formerly and who worked up way to director of operations of a big you know clinic chain so it's going to be interesting to see where she falls but i don't just show for example she said oh i'm comfortable in the medical space but i'm going to throw in a few other things because this is the time to learn right this is the time to just be open you're not committing to anything at no stage of this process are you committing all you're committing to is learning stay with the process learn what you need to learn make an informed decision if you're gonna reject a company or not. And then it's important for me to know too why you're rejecting one, right? Because that helps me when, and plenty of people pivot, I need to know the why, right? So that I can go back and refine what else I, I'm gonna to bring to the table. And when I do bring it to the table, it's kind of a good analogy. Um, it's like a buffet, right? You've told me what you think you like, and I've heard certain things, but here's this matter, and here's a six, six plates. Let's take a taste of each of them. And then you'll be able to figure out which ones you like more, right? What about the difference between somebody who wants to uh, be an active owner operator versus a passive yeah. investor? That is common. Um, there are some businesses that you're pretty much just buying a job and you're the guy doing whatever it is, right? It could be something with your hands. It could be something that's just consulting, 
right? And you're trading your time for the revenue that you earn, much like what I'm doing, right? You can also be someone who's very actively involved as an executive owner though, where most of these mobile businesses, the franchises do want you to stay in it. So it's less likely that you're gonna keep your job and run one of these trade type of businesses just because they want you to be in it. They want you to know who you're hiring. Is the culture there? Are the guys doing what they're supposed to do? And I keep on using guys loosely, but forgive me for that. Um, you know, they want you to be the face of the business, networking, attending meetings, going out into the field and being very present as compared to the location-based ones where typically you're managing a manager. Like when you think about someone who owns 10 supercuts, that person has never had a pair of scissors in their hands, right? They hire right, they manage that person from afar, and it goes from there. Because the owners really are focused on the metrics, the marketing implementation, making sure the staff is where they should be when they should be. All of that, big picture. So there's different ways to do that. Once I know who they are and what they want, then we go from there. Got it. Now you have a program that you're working on right now that I want to hear about, Boots to Business. Oh, well, that's actually not my program, but I get invited to participate, which I'm so excited about. Um, this is put out by the SBA. And what they do is they work with transitioning veterans okay. who are leaving the military and might be thinking of opening their own business. So many of them, they talk through all the independent ownership stuff. Like, do you have an idea? What are you going to do? And all those pieces that you need to put together to run your own business. So I'm the sliver that talks about franchises. Got it. Right. So I've worked with several people from there and um, it's just a wonderful way. My, my little piece of giving back. Um, so I go up to Hanscom Air Force Base a few times a year and make my presentations. Uh, just placed a retired Air Force um, member uh, and his wife. We worked, we started working together two years ago after one of those meetings. And then they decided, oh, well, no, then they needed surgeries. <laughs> so we had to put things off. And then they said, no, we're moving to San Antonio. Okay, so we waited till they moved to San Antonio and went through this process. And they couldn't decide, this is a good one, based on what we just talked about, they couldn't decide between a location-based business and a mobile business. I, they had narrowed it down to two that they really, really liked. And they could see doing each of them. But at the end, they ended up choosing a location-based one because that was going to give them more freedom to travel, be with their grandkids, and do different things. And they, they still saw that they could make the financial you know, goals that they were looking for, but importantly, the quality of life. So you mentioned the SBA and financing. What, what type of financing can you get to do one of these franchises? Yeah. So I'm not the expert there, but there are um, a handful of nationally known franchise funding companies that are expert at this. The most commonly heard are the SBA loans, right? And there's a couple of types as an express loan, and then there's you know a more standard loan they take forever, especially these days. But you know there's certain criteria and hoops that you have to go through, and you need to have the right liquidity, you need to have the right collateral, you need to have, you know, the working capital, right? That's where we're talking liquidity. Um, and you need to have credit scores that meet criteria. But then there's also another program called the ROBS. It's 
it's an acronym, but it's a rollover program where if someone has a 401k from their corporate life, they can roll it into the C corp that they create to buy the franchise. Oh, cool. Kind of like yeah. a self-directed IRA. Yeah. So they have no penalties and no tax issues and no um, anything else that they have to pay. So that's a nice thing. A lot of folks do that and that's quicker. That's really cool. So let me ask you this, Elaine, somebody uh, goes through this experience with you, they meet you, they, you do all the discovery, they find the right program that fits them, they execute on it, and they start their franchise, their business, and they want to sit down and write a review for you. What does that say online for Elaine and your franchise options? Well, the good news is I have a lot of those on LinkedIn. So oh, LinkedIn. Really want... <laughs> awesome. Okay. So I have a lot of recommendations on that, but you know what it is? It's, um, I think they feel that I care, that I am going to bat for them to give them everything that they need, that I offer them selections that they never would have thought of that were very reasonable for them. And that I'm, I've just been there the whole step of the way. Um, like this fellow just now, he said, the one that I mentioned earlier that had gone off on his own and I've been helping him narrow it down. He was, thanks so much for helping me figure out what was right for me. Because he was all over the place. Right. Looking at location base and then looking at, you know, ones that would require a lot of, um, a lot of staff that he'd have to oversee. And he didn't want that. He wanted to be location free. Um, and to be able to, you know, work with the types of clients that are most suitable to him, right? And he learned about himself. Like he's, he's like, I'm not an empathetic type. I can't work directly with the homeowners. So that kind of stuff. I help people get to that place. Um, I had another gentleman who, he goes, Elaine, three months ago, I started talking to you just to learn information. And uh, now I'm about to sign a franchise contract. You're good. <laughs> he's like, Peter, I didn't do it. I just, I just guided you. <laughs> That's awesome. So, That's those yeah. are great. And you know what? It takes a little bit of a leap of faith, expanding your comfort zone to to do something like this, right? Uh, similarly, it takes a little bit of an expansion to sit down and do a podcast. But I think you know your uh, conversation here today is is so nice for people to sit back and listen because there's so many unknowns about franchising, and to be able to to get with somebody so knowledgeable. Um, is, is such a step ahead, right? Instead of looking into that vast ocean of 3000 different franchises. But talking about expanding your comfort zone, we would like to get all of our guests together at some point uh, to network and get together and you know share ideas and experiences. But one of the things we wanna have available for everybody is to expand that comfort zone is karaoke. So Elaine, you are next up on the microphone. What are you singing? I would probably choose between Lionel Richie, Roy Orbison, Tracy Chapman. Whoa. <laughs> I'm, I'm a low, I'm an alto and I'm not a singer. So I have to go with this kind of like low stuff. Um, Except you know that you're an alto. So you're a little bit of a singer. Well, no, I'm really not a good singer. I just, I don't, I just don't care. I just huh. like to sing. <laughs> I'll dance all day. Singing is not my thing, but you know what? I don't I have no um no qualms there. I think I would probably sing. Oh, give me one reason by Tracy Chapman. Oh. Give me one reason, and I'll turn right back around. 
I love it. And you sang it for us too. Very few people have done that. Thank you for that. Now, the most important question of them all, Elaine, is oh. somebody hears this and they say, you know what? I, I need to talk to Elaine. What's the best way for someone to get in touch with you? Um, I would start with my phone number, 508-503-1144. My email address though is Elaine, E-L-A-I-N-E, at your franchise options, and that's plural, dot com. And my website is also yourfranchiseoptions.com. You'll get a little bit of an outline of what I do, how I do it, what we look for, um, a little bit of testimonials, more information. Yep. Go to my LinkedIn. There's no one else with the name Elaine Vakalopoulos. Elaine LinkedIn. Vakalopoulos on LinkedIn. So what we'll do in the show notes below is to put those links in there, the phone number, the website, and the LinkedIn so that you can get in touch with Elaine and, and, and learn from her and have her guide you to the next step of your life. I love it. Elaine, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome, Mark. It's my pleasure. Again, I think the more people know the better, even if it's not for them, because franchising is not for everyone and not every franchise is right for each person. So just take a step and learn. Learn, always be learning, right? Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing, Elaine. And um, I, I'm really excited to get this out and, and have our community hear more about the franchises. So thank you so much. You're welcome, Mark, thank you. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Securitidal. Securitidal helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Securitidal, S-E-C-U-R-I-T-I-T-L-E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.